Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What the hell's wrong with Judd? Jeez. Where do we start? I mean, that yeah. could be four hours by itself. Hi, guys. A team of top doctors is uh, working on it, Kenny. Top psychiatrists. <laughs> now launching. Sequence start. Mackie and Judd. We'll see We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Here comes the pressure. Ryan in the pocket. Matt looks, throws, touchdown, Muhammad Sanu. Center of the field score in Atlanta within a point. Second and ten. Breeze looking, Enzo shot is intercepted by Deion Jones. And uh, the result of last night's game, a uh, Thursday night game, Drew Breeze, Matt Ryan. Color is- rush. Color rush. A lot of oh, color the rush. The Saints wasn't so bad. It was no, white uniforms, but, but those Falcons, red uniforms, man. The Falcons were not attractive. Yeah. Uh, but that's a good result for the Vikings last night because the Saints, even though the Vikings beat the Saints earlier in the year, the Saints now move two games back of the Vikings in the loss column mm-hmm. uh, to 9-4. and four. So if you're, if you're just sort of measuring up the NFC, looking for pass for the Vikings to get a home field advantage throughout or just a first-round bye, you were rooting for the Falcons last night, and so the Vikings will take that result on Thursday Night Football. After what you saw last night, do the Saints, uh, scared is the wrong word, do the Saints worry you less than they did previously? Because I believe that you said the hmm. Saints were among your, if not your chief concern. Um, I I, I kind of throw last night's game out a little bit because Alvin Kamara went out with a concussion in the first quarter, so maybe their most potent offensive weapon and versatile offensive weapon a guy who's capable of going for 100 yards on the ground or 100 yards in the air did not play for much of that game. And it's a Thursday night game. And Drew Brees was even saying after the game, everyone's banged up. It's just not a representation of, I still think the Saints are right there with the Eagles, teams you should be most concerned about in the NFC. And then like Russell Wilson, even with a banged up Seahawks team, there are no, like I've said the last couple weeks, whoever the sixth seed is in the NFC, it's not an easy game. If the Patriots wind up playing the Titans or something as the, the sixth seed, that's an easy game. I'm sorry. Like, they're going to beat the Titans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's possible Russell Wilson or Drew Brees could be the sixth seed in the NFC. Here's what last night showed you, though, to me again. And if you're a Vikings fan, it it might make you a little bit weary, but it also should should embolden you a little bit. This defense, the Vikings defense, I mean, when you watch the Saints or Falcons, and you said, okay, these these offenses have a real opportunity to go down the field and score a touchdown or get a field goal. And when you watch the Vikings defense right now, and as long as guys stay healthy, you don't have that same concern. The 
the Thanksgiving Day game in Detroit to me is the poster child for really pretty ugly game, not attractive to watch. But you were never all that worried about the Vikings, I didn't think, because their defense is so good. Every Everybody else has issues. Everybody else, you say, okay, you know what? Drew Brees or Ryan can move their team down the field against this defense, and it doesn't shock me. The Vikings' defense, to me, is what I keep coming back to, is it's so good that if a team does drive down the field, especially at a crucial point, yeah. you'll be surprised. Uh, I agree with that. One thing, thinking about the Saints, though, last night, they picked off Matt Ryan three times in four throws. And now some of those are on Ryan. The last one was just like, what are you doing? He threw it into double coverage. It was short. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't. it wasn't like the Saints jumped three amazing routes. and But that's a... That Saints defense you could dismiss for years. And last night on the road, they picked off one of the they picked off last year's league MVP three times. Uh was it three times or four times? It was it wound up being three I think times. They picked him off three yeah. times, yes. So it's um yeah, I mean the moral of the story is it was a good win from a Viking standpoint, because mm-hmm. you don't want the Saints to keep winning. Mm-hmm. You want the Eagles to lose probably to the Rams this weekend. That would give both those teams three losses. But if you just win out, if you just if you take care of business against Cam Newton and company and then uh, it looks more and more like Rodgers is for sure going to come back if they beat the Browns this weekend. That's going to be a tougher game on the 23rd. But things are shaping up in the NFC. Things are shaping up. If you win on Sunday, I think you win 14 games. I really do. Well, that'd be the second most wins in franchise history, right? Yeah. Because they only played 16, uh, 14 yes. games in the 70s. Correct. Correct. And they went 15-1 and one in 1998. But I want to. that's a good segue. Ding! Ding. We're so consumed and just keep uh, keep attacking each week, and uh, we're so busy throughout the week preparing uh, that um, you kind of forget about what what you've done. And uh, I think that's a good thing, though. I think uh, you know you go through practice and you have a, a bad player or something that kind of sticks with you. And I think that's uh, like I said, I think that's a good thing. Just keep working, keep getting better, and um, just kind of continue to get on the same page. Yeah, he makes it difficult. You know, uh, anytime you have a multi-dimensional quarterback, it uh, you know adds that extra bit of toughness in terms of preparing for it, um, but I think we're up to the task. Uh, so I don't mean to apply any extra pressure to the Vikings than they already probably put on themselves to, to cash in the season, but with how fleeting and how quickly windows can close, contendership windows can close in the NFL, and the Vikings have seen it firsthand twice in the last 20 years, you're to the point now at 10-2, and two, chance to go 13-3 and three or 14-2 and two and home soup, all these opportunities in front of you. If you don't cash in now, there are so many things that you can't guarantee about this team going forward, and almost any team in the NFL. But you can't guarantee that you're going to bottle this version of Case Keenum and this offense. You can't guarantee that Pat Shermer is going to be your offensive coordinator next year. In fact, there was a story, I believe ESPN.com ran something yesterday, top coordinate candidates to become head coaches. And Pat Shermer was number one or among the top uh, guys on that list. Mm -hmm. So cash in while you can. With these opportunities. Remember 1999 after 1998. Yeah, they went to the playoffs, but there was within the blink of an eye, there was a a new dominant offense in the league, the Rams, that that put the Vikings in the back seat. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2009 to 2010, the Vikings wind up firing a coach midseason, and Brett Favre wasn't the same guy, and the windows slammed shut, and your defense dissembled within the next couple of years. Carolina goes 15-1, and makes it to the Super Bowl. 
whiffs on the playoffs the next year. And a ton of teams do that. Yeah. Exactly. At- Atlanta right. might whiff on the playoffs this year. So you got to take advantage of these opportunities while they're in front of you. So the last four times that you've gone to the conference championship game, if you're the Vikings, in 87 you went, in 88 you came back and were actually very good, 11-5 and five and lost in the divisional round of the playoffs. Uh, 98 to 99, you come back in 99, go 10 and 6, and also lose in the same round of the playoffs. 2000, you go to the conference championship game, get beat 41, donut, come back and go 5 and 11, and Denny gets fired. And 2009, you come back in 2010 and go uh, 6 and 10, and Childress gets fired. This to me, now, now in hockey, you can get in the playoffs and get hot and make a run, but the National Football League to me is the ultimate regular season to playoff ride the wave sport. Like, you have no idea if Keenum, if, if you sign him long-term, you have no clue if he comes back next year with a new coordinator and if he's as good. You look at the components that the Vikings have and you think that there's an opportunity for, for long-term success. But if guys get hurt or two guys struggle, it can change the entire dynamic. So I really do think for as, as much foreboding as we have about this team, and rightfully so, but for as much as we now concern ourselves with, oh my gosh, what's going to happen in the playoffs if Kai Forbath misses a field goal, for as much as we like to concern ourselves with all those things, the thing that you have to keep in mind is when you're in the midst of a successful season in this league, you do have to enjoy it because there are there are zero things to guarantee. I mean, the 2010 team is the poster child. You brought back every single starter. I mean, that was the blueprint for, oh my gosh, everyone's back. It's going to be fantastic. And it was entirely different. So I think that the one thing that you got to slow yourself down a little bit and say is when you're having a special season, recognize that unless you're the Patriots, you basically are are subject to things can change in one year in a huge way. Yeah. In fact, if you if you just made a list of our teams that, man, they take a big blow in the playoffs. Packers went 15 to one, took a big blow in the playoffs, but but still continued forward with division championships and kept that window alive for a long time. You almost have to have a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, right, that can keep everything together. I mean, the mm-hmm. Patriots are the ultimate example for 17 years. But, you know, the the Packers, even when they go 10-6, and six, they get in, they win a playoff game because of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Russell Wilson has been able to, with shoddy offensive line play and injuries defensively, has been able to keep the Seahawks as a championship contender for, for five or six years. And, again, it, it sounds like I'm casting shade upon Case Keenum, but I'm just saying, like, the – with how quickly windows shut, if you don't have that sure thing Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, yep. if you're in the midst of a season that that looks like this, despite not having a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, you got to take advantage. Uh, another team too, uh, Denver. Denver, uh, they go in, they they win the Super Bowl and with Peyton a team, Manning, a team built on defense too, right? Just like these guys. And so, I mean, it can happen too if you if you do take advantage of your opportunity. And then, you, oh, well, you know, we're bringing back a defense next year. And then, I mean, they haven't been anywhere near the same team in the two years since Peyton Manning Mike Tice retired. Said it. Mike Tice said it. You got to enjoy the season. In this, this is the league that you have to appreciate because the biggest thing to me is this. Because I, I think what Viking fans will say now is they'll say, yeah, but this defense is great. It's fantastic. What you have to get is some years you stay healthy. And a lot of years you don't. Yeah. And, and and if Harrison Smith in 2018, if Harrison Smith or Rhodes gets hurt and, and is out for an extended period of time, that changes the dynamic completely. Some years you just have these weird, you sort of have luck on your side. Guys can stay on the field. And in this case, you're talking about a core group of what, five or six guys? And when those seasons come along, you have to appreciate them. Because I, 
If you are a Viking fan and you went from 2009 to 2010, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier to keep together a team that's quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback-centric and have that team win 11 games every year because you can do that if you have Aaron Rodgers with, with flaws around the field. But if you're doing it with defense... It's amazing how you take away a Harrison Smith or you, you take one guy away from one of your defensive levels. You take away a Linville Gr- Joseph. Griffin in Washington. Yeah. Missed one game. You 30, gave up 30, 30 points. points. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, so I mean, I'm not trying to sound alarms, but I'm just saying that like, this is the opportunity is right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And there are no guarantees that this opportunity may be there in 2018. I don't think they're going to be 4 and 12 in 2018 or whatever the Vikings finished uh, in 2010. Was it was 6 it and the, 10. 6 and 10. 6 and 10. Like, and I don't think that's going to happen, but, but, if, if, if you had to, to ask me, are they going to be able to replicate this again for sure next season? I mean, if Tom Brady was the quarterback, I'd say, oh, yeah, for sure. But I can't I can't say that. So go beat Carolina. Go make Cam Newton's life miserable. And then go take advantage of pretty weak games down the stretch and home playoff games. And let's let's it's been 55 bleeping years. Why can't this be the team? Uh, why can't no this be the why coach? Can, why there's can't no reason this, why it can't be. There's no reason why. It would, be, it would point, be nice if, no they were, if they were in a, a, a less difficult conference path to it, the championship. It but. can't be because rightfully so, you have a lot of people who are very scared, and I get that. I get it completely. We've seen it. The only thing is, when you look at how this team is built, and, and there are certain years that go your way, and this one is, you do have to appreciate it. The worst thing that you could do now is say, okay, this is four years of success. You don't know that. But you can enjoy this one while it lasts. And there is no reason why this can't be a team that makes a deep playoff run. So uh, last night's result, like we said off the top, was good for the Vikings. Falcons hang in the playoff race, but they knocked the Saints down a peg while doing it. So the Saints now have two more losses than the Vikings with just a few games to play. And in the Vikings' quest to at least get a bye in the first round and rest up a little bit, uh, that's a good thing, and it's. A good, I mean, the Saints too. If they would have run the table, for instance, and the Vikings slip up against Carolina, slip up against uh, Green Bay, and then, then all of a sudden, now the Vikings are beneath the Saints. So it's a good thing the Saints lost last One night. Superdome. Uh, don't right, want to go back there. No, you do not. <laughs> You've seen enough of that. I place. think I would trust this team more than that team, but you still don't want to do that. Uh, Judd's keys to a Vikings win in about twenty minutes. Write that down. Predictions and an accountability session at ten o'clock. We'll get uh, our buddy Todd Furman. For the Pros or Joes NFL pick segment at 11 o'clock. Superstar Mike Morris in the house for the noon. Judd paying off one of his uh, lost football bet punishments today on our social media channels. Tuckered out by it. Tired now. We'll explain that maybe. uh, I think think we should have some of this stuff posted before the bottom of the hour. So so people can, we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) All right. Let's just say it was a very eventful morning for you. Uh, Mackie and Judd, let's come back. We actually we played this near the end of our show yesterday. Dave found some audio of Tom Thibodeau having a mini meltdown. Uh, and it was Jerry Zagoda, right? He's been yeah. covering the Wolves for like two or three decades. And it was yep. it was a very fair and logical question. And, and Tibbs had a little mini meltdown after that Clippers game. So um, let's revisit that because it just felt there was some dissonance there that didn't make a lot of sense. Mackie and Judd. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Bring it on! This is 1500 ESPN. You look like you played 40-plus minutes. Do you feel like you played 40-plus minutes? Yeah, we need to talk to Tibbs. These 40 minutes are starting to add up. 
Everyone was upset with Cat, you know, last game. They didn't think he shot enough, and he, but he made the right plays, and that's that's what he's supposed to do. Now he was more active today when he got rid of the ball, so that's that's important also. Uh, but it, you know, just make the right plays. If you're a primary scorer, second defender comes, trust the pass, hit the open man, and uh, that guy makes the, the the next read. Cat play with more energy when he when he does get more touches. Well, he plays the same. I mean, you, you guys, I, I don't understand what you're saying. But it, we run the, the same system every game. So, you know, I don't, I don't know where, where you're going. Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean, just when he gets the ball more, does he play? Does he he touches the ball a lot in every game. Uh, yeah. That was, uh, you know how we were talking about this before the show. Mm-hmm. When, uh, when you know you're wrong, like with the wife or whatever, when you know you're wrong, but you're not ready to admit that you're wrong and you start projecting. Yep. Well, well, you're 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 cheating on me, or you know, whatever it is. Like you just start projecting, and it's and you're overcompensating or overreacting in a situation. Tom Thibodeau knows he's playing starters too many minutes. He has to know when Carl Anthony Towns gets three shot attempts in the first three quarters against Memphis. Mm-hmm. That's not enough for your most efficient, best offensive player. He got six total shots in that entire game and scored seven right. points. Right, and so and so and he's, not in foul trouble, by the way. That's the other thing. Like, there's no excuse for it. Correct. He was out there for like 40 minutes, and uh, and and so if and I, I'll go deep in the weeds here. Statistically, there's something called usage rate. Yep. That's tracked now by NBA.com. Does a great job of of taking some of these advanced. They track player movement and they track touches and all those things, mm-hmm. and they put it into layman's terms. And so usage rate is a stat used to measure what percentage of a team's plays or action a player is involved in. So the top usage rate players are the Greek freak in Milwaukee, uh, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, the guys you would think they're just involved on a regular basis offensively, right? It's, it tracks how much you're involved. Well, Towns was at 9% usage rate against Memphis and back up to 25% usage rate against the Clippers. Mm-hmm. It's no coincidence they took a big lead early against the Clippers, as they should. And so that's a, it's a pretty big difference. So if I'm a reporter... This is, I'm back in Jerry Zagoda on this. If I'm a reporter, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to ask, hey, this, it looked like uh, Towns was more active and was being used more. And for Tom Thibodeau to condescendingly shoot that down, a credible longtime NBA reporter who's doing his homework, that didn't sit well with me. I didn't like that. And Jerry actually wrote uh, the story about that because he talked to Towns about it as well in today's Star Tribune. Let me give you the four scenarios on, under why Tibbs got so testy about this because – you know, Tibbs can be morose after a loss, and he can be, and he never really tells you much. Um, so this, this to me was the most he's gotten upset in a in a press conference uh, since he got here. Basically, I've never heard him like this before. Like he got, he took Jerry's first question, and he was sort of annoyed a little bit. And the more he thought about the question, the worse he got. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the four reasons that he could have possibly gotten antsy about that or upset about okay. that had cat gone to tibbs and basically complained under which case he was annoyed by that had somebody else and i doubt this one but had somebody else gone to tibbs and said tom look at cat's stats i mean what's going on here he's your best player why um three does he know to your point does he know that he was wrong basically he saw that and said whoa 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 that's my fault because it was his fault to a, to a certain d- degree, it's on Cat too, but it, it's on him. Or here's number four, and this is the one that worries me the most. But if you read Jerry's story in today's Star Tribune, I think it might be the most plausible. 
was he actually okay with the Memphis game because he did perceive Cat as playing into the system and passing and distributing the ball? And this is sort of what Tibbs wants. And was he defensive because in his mind, no, that sort of worked. Now, I know that sounds absolutely crazy. And I think to a lot of coaches uh, in that league in 2017, it is crazy. But we've talked about this with Tibbs, Phil. I don't know in his mind that he's not thinking, no, no, Carl got the Carl got the ball and Carl distributed the ball. I'm not so sure that Tibbs didn't get annoyed by the question because in his mind, Towns did the right thing. But when you look at the box score, it's absolutely, at least in this era of the NBA, it's absolutely not the right thing. But, okay, Towns' deficiencies are, are defense. And he deserves to be ripped up and down for, you know, for, hey, man, it's, it ain't like your first five minutes in the league anymore. You got to figure out how to play some team defense and start to soak some of these things up. By this time in his career, Kevin Garnett maybe wasn't the defensive MVP of the league yet, but he was a very good defensive player. And it's not a lack of physical ability holding Towns back defensively. So I'm just going to preface what I'm going to say with that. Offensively, he is super advanced, especially for his age. So... For Tom Thibodeau to suggest that, well, hey, when uh, it's a tough defensive opponent, uh, Marcus All, uh, I got to get way down here when I'm uh, impersonating Tibbs, but Marcus All, <laughs> just to paraphrase what he's saying, he's suggesting, hey, that Memphis game, Marcus All's a really tough defender, and they were, you know, they're double teaming him, and so he's he's making the right moves by just like getting out of the way and and deferring and passing. Um, that's not giving him enough credit for what he's capable of doing offensively. He's not the type of player that, oh, yeah, I guess you just put a good defender on him and you double-team him and he's only going to get three shots off. Him getting three shots off wasn't him getting smothered by great defense. He's played against great defensive big men before and will not only get off 10 to 20 shots, but will make a bunch of shots and will put up his 15 to 20 to 25 points. And so, I mean, I don't. This we're kind of turning a... We're kind of turning a but, molehill into a into a mountain but, here, but but we're not mountain into a molehill, molehill into a mountain. Yeah, both good. Don't turn a mountain into, into a molehill. molehill. Don't turn, turn a molehill. We're into turning a a something small into something yeah, big. big. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think we necessarily. <laughs> but I don't think we necessarily are. And here's why. Which, which one, Dave? Don't turn a. It's you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Oh, oh and I'm making, saying don't turn a molehill yeah, into, into a mountain. mountain. Right, but it was making, and that's why it sounded weird because you're. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. You don't had the right structure. Active. You had to take something little and blow it up and make it ridiculous. Because your right. structure was right. The, the word ing was just, of yes. it makes it an active mm-hmm. verb there. Okay. Great work. Right. Okay. Uh, he, but he's not the you type learn of player. You do every day, damn it, Dave Harrigan. <laughs> no, but. I, I don't here's where I don't think you necessarily or or we are not doing that. You said to me yesterday and and off the cuff, but you're, you're being uh, somewhat serious about this. You said this might not work. And I said it might not. Um, if Tibbs if Tibbs is going with with among the four things I listed reason three, which is he knows he he was wrong and just got defensive, then it's fine. Then it's like, okay, you're being overly defensive because you, you guys lost a game that you probably shouldn't have lost and and coaching contributed to that loss. But if it's reason four, that's the problem. If it's reason four, which is Tibbs doesn't get Jerry's question. Like he feels emboldened to say, no, he did what he was supposed to do. In my system, Cat did what, what he was supposed to do. That's where you might not be wrong. There, yeah, there, Because if he feels that way, if that's truly how he feels, then you do have a problem. I mean, I think sometimes, I, I, I love the 30,000-foot view of things. Carl Anthony Towns, let's not overthink this. Offensively, 
is one of the one of the best in the league. He's not Steph Curry, but he's like on that second tier where he's a seven footer who can knock down three pointers at a fairly efficient rate. He has moves in the paint. He can pass. He can dribble. He can. He can he play had a any position. Floater he wants, in the basically. paint as a seven footer in that Clippers game. Yes. He can do almost anything offensively. So whatever you think your system is or should be, what it shouldn't be is three field goal attempts through three quarters for one of the best, most talented offensive players in the league. In fact, as far as usage rate goes, I'm going to go back to that for a second because I'm a firm believer that that some of this data matters, and I don't know to what degree Tom Thibodeau is an analy- uh, analytics guy or to what degree he ignores it or poo-poos it. He seems a little more old school, but he's talked about analytics in interviews with us before. And it's a small sample size, but in the 12 games the Wolves have used Towns the most, so just the when, on on your plays or your offensive action, mm-hmm. um, when he's the most involved according to usage rate, the Wolves are eight and four this season. In the games where he's not as involved or or less involved, they're 500. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yes, can they get by with Towns not really doing much because of the sheer talent of Jimmy Butler and? And uh, you know Andrew Wiggins can have flashes where he's getting hot and putting up some points, and right. Jeff Teague, and if, yeah, of course. I mean that's they're fifteen eleven because they're purely they're ex- uh, supremely talented. But we're not talking about just kind of a five hundred ish team, or this this team has the talent and the potential if molded right to be something much more. Carl Anthony Towns has the talent and the potential to be something much more, and it just feels like there's so much dissonance. And for a reporter to ask a coach a very logical question about. Hey, Towns wasn't used a whole lot, it looked like, in that Memphis game. And then you guys used him a lot more in this Clippers game, and you got up by 15 points right away. And to have the coach react like this. Does Cap play with more energy when he, when he does get more touches? Well, he plays the same. I mean, you, you guys, I, I don't understand what you're saying. But it, we run the, the same system every game. So, you know, I don't, I don't know where, where you're going. Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean, just when he gets the ball more, does he play? Does he he touches the ball a lot in every game. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, okay. But right, that's dude. a but okay, did, dude. But this is the point about beyond just this one uh, topic and beyond Towns touching the ball or not. That question to me goes to you're playing your guys too much as well. Would would it? I mean, it's no di- different. And the question could have been asked after that game. Would it help if you played your bench more? And I think he would have got defensive about that. So this conversation to me, it goes beyond one conversation about the star player touching the ball and gets to the gets to the heart of does the coach have the ability to see the error potentially of his ways and adapt? And then that goes to the conversation that we've had for the past couple of days, which is the lack of checks and balances within that organization right now from a basketball structure because who the hell is going to tell Tibbs Tibbs, this makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, the only the only guy that I think has a fighting chance of doing that right now is Jimmy Butler. Like, if Jimmy Butler goes to him and says, "Tibbs, I played forty two bleeping minutes. It's not going to work." There is a chance he might say, "Okay, I'll use Shabazz." But but if if Layden goes to him, or if uh, an analytics person goes to him, I don't know that that's go- going to work. So what concerns me about his response to Jerry is I'm starting to think. That might be how he handles things internally as well. Instead of saying to himself, you know what, I'll think about this. I'll adapt to it. So they do have uh, five consecutive home games coming up here. And they should beat Dallas on Sunday. They have a bunch of practice. They don't have a game. They didn't have a game yesterday. Uh, They don't play today. Tomorrow they play Sunday against Dallas. That's a really scrappy, tough Philadelphia team on national TV on Tuesday Mm -hmm. that they play. 
Phoenix, uh, Portland is uh, is also uh, a tough beat. But you get some games coming up. Once the calendar turns to January, it's no longer you know a team missing its best player in San Antonio or you get Cleveland, you get you get at Boston on January fifth. Uh, you start to play. Some of the better teams in the NBA, you get four games against Houston starting uh, in the middle of January. Your, play, so. your starters are all going to be dead by March at this rate. Yeah, you're just going to have to forfeit the rest of the year at that point. Getting Bielitsa back is is going to help, but can we get you know, Taj Gibson DNP deceased? He got so <laughs> tired he dropped dead. Yeah, uh, is Judd's keys ready for uh, for an appearance here? It's ready. Yes, of course. This is a big game on Sunday. It's a road game, third consecutive road game, which is rare in the NFL. Judd's keys to a Vikings win over the Panthers and write that down at the top of the hour. Phil Mackey. Treble, sensitive, artistic. Judd Zolgad. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Well, you hear that? Sounds like we're ready to unlock a vault of knowledge bombs. Here comes Judd Zolgad's keys. Uh, by the way, before we get to Judd's keys to a Vikings win over the Panthers, don't bet on football, kids. What will happen is you'll wind up in a Michael Myers mask doing male yoga in the morning in the hallway, like Judd this morning. Uh, so you oh, now have paid off one of your two I gotta retweet this quarterback cesspool challenge bets. So if you want to see, just a warning, it's terrifying. If you want to see Judd Zolgad in a Michael Myers mask doing male yoga this morning to some soft meditation music, uh, we're posting that all over our social media right now. <laughs> so 1500 scary. ESPN Twitter, 1500 ESPN Facebook. It's all uh, backslash 1500 ESPN Instagram. Yeah, just a warning. There's, if you have kids around, I don't even want to be careful. It sort of scares me. All right. All right. Judd's keys. keys five keys to a Vikings win over the Panthers with executive producer Dave Harrigan. Dave, do you want to uh, start us off with number five with the theme of today's keys? Absolutely. We'll work bottom up as we normally do, and we have a very special guest providing the headlines today. He's got a lot of time on his hands, so he decided he wanted to join keys today after the big announcement he made in front of all his Senate colleagues yesterday. Oh, my. Key number five. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, People like me. Oh, Al and Stuart, thank you so much. Key number five is the fact that people like the Vikings. Well, actually, they don't like them. You know why they don't like them? Because the Vikings are bad house guests. The Vikings are trying to complete a three-game road sweep. If they beat Carolina on Sunday, that will mean they went Detroit, Atlanta, Carolina. And they have won five consecutive away from home for the first time since 1974. Gentlemen, don't look now, but if you're the Vikings and you win this game on Sunday, you got a real good shot of of being liked by all Vikings fans because you got a real good shot of being 14 and 2. Oh. All right, key, uh, key number four to yes. a Vikings win over the Panthers. Key number four, specific to a young man making a lot of noise this year in his first season in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers. I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. Yes, Christian McCaffrey, pretty attractive guy. And he's fun to be with if you play for the Carolina Panthers. The eighth overall pick in the draft, he leads the Panthers 
with 64 receptions for 501 yards and four touchdowns. He's been targeted 90 times this season. Now, he is a running back, but he has only rushed for 284 yards on 82 carries. This guy is a one-man whirling dervish show out of the backfield. It's going to be on Eric Kendricks. That will be Eric Kendricks, the middle linebacker for the Vikings. It will be his job to slow Christian McCaffrey. Kendricks, by the way, has not given up a touchdown to a running back this season in 29 targets by Hmm. the opposition, according to our friends at Pro Football Focus. In other words, Christian McCaffrey might have met his match. You know, it's uh, it's pretty amazing the amount of top running backs that have come out of the draft in the last year. So Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt. Yeah, and I'm probably missing a couple in there too that have just popped up from you know the fourth round somewhere. But mm-hmm. uh, it's I don't know if we if we've had a running back draft like this in a long time. So have the Vikings done well against versatile running backs? They pretty much for the most part. Yeah, they they've have. done fine. Yeah. Yes. They will slow this kid. Key number three to a Vikings win over the. He number three actually began a few weeks ago back when a certain someone made his debut in the booth. Believe me, I know what it's like laying there awake, all those tapes rolling. I'm a fraud. Tomorrow I'm going to be exposed for what I am, a big imposter. I just want to curl up and lay in bed all day and eat Fig Newton. Well, Dave Harrigan, <laughs> you are correct. It was back on November the 19th when the Vikings, listen, Clearly, the National Football League feels that this season's been going too well for our purple, right? And so they want someone to infiltrate the purple so that they can hold them down and beat them. And that person on November 19th, none other than Greg Olson, the tight end for the Carolina Panthers. He's missed much of the year, injured. Well, he worked that game. It was the Rams-Vikings game for Fox in the booth. Only God knows how much insider information Greg Olson got that day. And Greg Olson now, by the way, he's expected uh, to play. He missed last week, I think. He's had a right foot problem for much of the year. He's expected to play on Sunday. All of his spying, we're going to find out how much that worked. But Rick Spielman warned everybody, said this is a bad idea. On Sunday, we're about to find out if it truly was a bad idea. I mean, like, I think that was a bit of a... Because he's going to watch film on the team anyways, right? So unless unless you were to be in the room picking up things that the coach was telling him... I get why the Vikings didn't want him in the room, but you know, I just I want I want keys to put it down in writing. What a dangerous, dangerous thing this could be—the subterfuge that could be at work. And key number two to a Vikings win over the Panthers. Yeah, we talked about this guy a lot yesterday. I can imagine that a night before a game, you must lie awake thinking, "I'm not good enough. Uh, everybody's better than me. I'm not going to score any points." I have no business playing this game. And that would be none other than Cameron Newton, who will say to himself, Mike Zimmer, why do you hate me so much? Why do you make my life miserable? Why won't you let me play football like I like to play it? The Vikings, as we've talked about before this week, the Vikings have beaten the Panthers twice and Zim took the job in uh, in uh, 2014. The first time they played that season, Cam Newton, 194 passing yards, one touchdown, one pick, four sacks, 31-13 Panthers loss at TCF Bank Stadium. Yeah. Last year they play again. Cam's thinking time for my revenge. <laughs> 262 yards passing, no touchdowns, three interceptions, eight sacks in a 22-10 victory. And that, three of those eight sacks came from none other than Everson Griffin, who especially likes to hit Cam Newton. And that leads us to key number one. 
The guy Big Ev is going to be rushing against. I am just a fool. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to die homeless and penniless. I'm 20 pounds overweight, and no one will ever love me. But you'll die with a pizza shop at which underagers can be served booze. <laughs> Matt Khalil. <laughs> Matt Khalil, who for one year embraced the sport that he went into professionally and after that decided he didn't give a damn, has given up 35 total pressures, tied for 10th most among uh, tackles in the National Football League this season. And he will face Everson Griffin, who is fourth in the league right now, with 12 sacks. 11 of those, by the way, according to our buddies at PFF, have come from the right side of the line. In other words, the side of the line that Matt Khalil at his left tackle spot will be lined up trying to stop his former college teammate. Matt Khalil, five years, $55.5 million from the Carolina Panthers. The Vikings get the last laugh here. Matt Khalil probably has to pay a fine because little Susie went in and got served beer as well at, at his pizza joint. Matt Khalil, what do you think? Yeah, and then after the game, you know, all of the uh, you know Matt Khalil's former teammates and friends and all their kids can go uh, get into some kegs <laughs> at Pyology. Hey, hey, mister, give me a beer, too. <laughs> sure, why not? At, at Pyology, we just serve anybody. <laughs> I hope I hope they weren't about to do a big endorsement with us. I mean, there is something something uh, I don't know something poetic about Matt Khalil maybe being the bouncer at one of his establishments and a 17 year old just blows right by him to go get a beer at the counter. <laughs> Can I see Eddie? Oh, oh no, I got beat. <laughs> yeah, if you if you can beat Matt Khalil, you can you get, get a beer. <laughs> oh, I love keys. All right, there they are. Very timely, Senator Franken. We like to be topical whenever possible. Good stuff. Stuart, Stuart was great. Uh, the Keys post-game show coming up next, and then write that down, plus an accountability session at 10 o'clock. Mackie and Judd. The Mackie and Judd show rolls on. That's right, sports fans. This is 1500 ESPN. 1500 ESPN. Visit St. Paul, the city of St. Paul, and Wells Fargo. Invite you to experience Wells Fargo Winter Skate, a free outdoor artificially chilled ice skating rink in downtown St. Paul at Rice Park. It's open seven days a week. In the heart of the city, Winter Skate creates a fun winter experience for visitors of all ages. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Speaking of the ice. Time to go to a hockey game tonight. Hey, Parisi! Grailback! Let's grind those greedy goals, boys. How about Dumbo? What about Suter? Prosser! Caliber! Let's go! Time. Who came here to save the team? Bruce came here to save the team. Who's not afraid to curse and scream? Bruce ain't afraid to curse and scream. Curse and scream. Save the team. Must be Boudreaux. Must be Boudreaux. Must be Boudreaux. Bruce Boudreaux. Shape them up, Double B. How about some Hermes for these boys? Bag skate them if you need to. Four checking. Who's got a face that's round and red? Bruce has a face that's round and red. Who's lost the hair upon his head? Bruce lost the hair upon his head. Hair on head, round and red. Curse and scream, save the team. Must be Boudreaux, must be Boudreaux, must be Boudreaux, Bruce Boudreaux. We don't miss Mike, yo. We going to that game tonight, Mackie? Not a chance in the world. Get in there, get a corner. I'm actually more of a basketball.
basketball guy. You want to fight about that? No, no, no. Come on, drop the gloves. <laughs> Who will call his own team out? Bruce will call his own team out. Who doesn't like when players pout? Bruce doesn't like when players pout. Players pout. Call them out. Hair on head, round and red. Curse and scream. Save the team. Must be Boudreaux. Must be Boudreaux. Must be Boudreaux. Bruce Boudreaux. Ah, yes. One of our top three most popular songs by the U-Log. Which releases Volume 3 on Monday, gentlemen? Recorded another track this morning. Uh, we have uh, most of the album already laid out, and now it's just a matter of uh, some of the processing that goes into it and some of the complicated technical things to make. Liner notes. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Who writes those? You, Dave? Yeah, yeah I'll get on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so Volume 3 will be available uh, across all of our social media channels and on the Mackie and Judd Show on uh, on Monday. Uh, this weekend's NFL slate, have you taken a, we're We're doing our picks in an hour and ten minutes, but... We had a bunch of mediocre weeks in there where you sifted through and there would maybe be one decent game. Oh, the Patriots play somebody or, oh, the Vikings have a tough opponent, the Rams. Mm-hmm. Almost every game on the schedule this weekend is enormous. Jaguars and Seahawks. Last night, division slash playoff matchup between Falcons and Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Eagles traveling all the way west to face the Rams. You've got Steelers and Ravens. One week after Steelers and Bengals basically put the NFL on alert for how violent the sport looked on national TV. So I'm, I'm excited for this weekend's games, just for the, the rivalries and the matchups and for the playoff implications. I feel like the league gets the scheduling right starting about now, don't you? I Division feel, games at the end. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and and so that's, that's the thing about this league is there's a lot of, there are a lot of bad games early, but they do a very good job starting around Thanksgiving or so of, of doing a really... A uh, much better job than they probably used to of scheduling good matchups, good games. I mean, that last week is a lot of fun. So my rip, my ripping of the league is basically, I see this this season as three increments. The first one, which is sort of the post training camp, guys still can't tackle and the games are not that great. The middle, which is guys can tackle, but the games just aren't that great. And then this one, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, and, I mean, last night was fun. And the, you know, like for instance, up until now, there wasn't really an interesting Jaguars game because to to go with what you just said, for the first month or so, they're the Jaguars, and they're off to a decent start. And then for the second month, oh, the Jaguars are winning some games, but they're playing the Titans, so who cares? Mm-hmm. But now that we're into December, you're looking at it and saying, "Holy cow, the Jaguars have the best defense in the NFL." They finally figured this thing out. They're eight and four, and they're hosting Seattle. Mm-hmm. So it's the combination of teams are sorting out who's good, who's not, and now the matchups are are clashing. And then here's another one, even like uh, the Chargers host Washington in the afternoon, one of those three o'clock games. To me, the Chargers are compelling. Philip Rivers has been one of the best quarterbacks in recent NFL history. He's not on that Brady level, but he's that second level without a Super Bowl. Yep, and he has a chance to win another game here. Maybe take. Hold of that division, so I'm I'm getting ready on Sunday to uh, to settle in, man. This will be fun. Here's a perfect example of what what we're talking about here. Jaguars start the year and they're and they're okay, and you're like, okay, they're okay, but Blake Bortles really is this going to last? And then the flip to that is Kansas City. Kansas City week one, you're like, oh my gosh, and then they win what three games or something like that, and at that point you think 
oh, whoa, this is a really good team. Mm -hmm. They have completely fallen off the map beyond belief. Yeah. So, I mean, this league, this league as it's currently constructed takes, what would you say, at least eight weeks to even sort of really define itself? Yeah. Like there's an eight week period where you're watching games and you're and you're making assumptions and you know that let's say three or four of those assumptions by week twelve or thirteen will be blown up completely. Yeah. Here's another thing too. Uh, so one of our Twitter followers, a Scoly Ghost, I love that Twitter name. Scoly Ghost sent this out uh, to us, and I'm assuming that this is a, a Twitter poll from a non Minnesota market based on the results. So these results, and then and then I'll also reference the fact that Mike Golick, who we love, Mike Golick Senior. Didn't even know who the Vikings played this weekend. Like, oh, the Vikings at Case Keenum. Who they who do they play this yeah, weekend? Carolina. Was, I think it's Carolina. Like people are because of Case Keenum and because of how anonymous he was and bad going into this year. They're just dismissing the Vikings. Yep. Uh, so this is a poll that Scully Ghost found and sent to us. Someone asked from outside of Minnesota, which ten and two team is most likely to go one and done in the playoffs this year? Eagles, Vikings, Patriots, and Steelers. Now, in fairness, no one's going to say Patriots. Right. So. Uh, but it's 54% Vikings, 27% Eagles, 10% Steelers, and 9% Patriots. Now, this is a little bit skewed in that the AFC is pretty weak after Patriots and Steelers, so it's pretty likely that even fans in Minnesota would say, ah, those, those teams are going to win their first game. Right. Uh, but for it to be Eagles or Vikings, and 54% of this poll, random poll, think the Vikings are going to be one and done, but only 27% say Eagles, that people have I'm that you. much of a higher view of the Eagles than the Vikings. Don't don't underestimate this. When you look at the Vikings schedule, and th this is going to sound stupid, but I firmly believe it. Look at the amount of noon games. When you have that many noon games and people don't see you, they don't think much of, of you. I guarantee you there is a huge, huge national faction of football fans who know Keenum is starting, haven't really seen him, and are just like, well, it's Case Keenum. Yeah, He's not going to last long. And because the Vikings aren't playing primetime games for the most part, because they're, they're not even playing a lot of 3 o'clock games. I mean, they are basically playing noon games. You have a large audience of football followers who are making the assumption, well, the Vikings' defense is probably really good, but it's Case Keenum. Yeah, that's fair. And the Eagles, that's a bigger market. Philadelphia mm -hmm. is a, it's East Coast, big market. And they play probably more 3 o'clock games and games that, that, that get into primetime spotlights where the Vikings really haven't. Yeah, in fact, they're playing a 3 o'clock game uh, against Los Angeles. That's more because they're playing Los Angeles. But that would also, I think, have been a, a primetime game or, or a 3 o'clock or a primetime game. But the Eagles are hard to figure out because they've got wins going back the last couple months. Home against Arizona. Okay. Well, I mean, that's... Right. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, home against Washington. Well, home against San Francisco. Home against Denver. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna win those games. They beat a lot of bad teams at Dallas, but I think that was a game where Dallas was without a bunch of key players. And home against Chicago, they blew out the Bears at home. So it's the Eagles are winning the games that they should win, and then losing at Seattle, and they lost a game at Kansas City earlier this year when Kansas City was playing well. So. I still, after all these games, don't have a great read on the Eagles, even though I've seen them play quite quite often this year. The fun thing, if you're a Vikings fan, the fun thing is this. I think you can consistently say with, with a quarterback like Wentz, what what will or what would Zimmer do to him? I just I go back to the fact that you can list probably maybe two or three quarterbacks who have played the Vikings defense and looked even semi-comfortable. Maybe. Maybe three, maybe two. I don't know. I mean... Roethlisberger beat him. Uh, they they got pressure on him at times. But okay, let's say 
let's say Roethlisberger and Cousins looked comfortable. That's probably it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matthew Stafford in the game in Detroit looked miserable. Matt Ryan didn't get sacked. It didn't matter. He looked miserable. And that doesn't mean that they looked bad. I'm, I'm not saying that they that they were incapable of playing. What I'm saying is that the Vikings throw twists at these guys that are very, very difficult to defend yep. or to stop. So super fun weekend in the NFL on uh, on Sunday, Sunday night, Monday. I don't even know. What's the Monday game? I think it's probably a, it's probably a relevant game because all the games seem relevant. But I do not know. Um, let's come back, make our weekly Write That Down predictions. A big accountability session. A lot of things coming off the board, and there's only three weeks left in the 2017 season. <laughs> Tight batting race. Good. You know what, though? Good. No. I'll just leave it at that. What? Judd's coming on. Judd is coming on down the stretch, just like he did last year, to steal the batting championship. Mackie and Judd.